The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie Good morning. Welcome to the Michael Reed Show with Alan Cantwell till 11 this morning. In the programme this morning, more on the GAA's confirmation that Mickey Hart has stepped down as their senior football manager. As childcare providers prepare to close their doors for three days from September 26th to the 28th to highlight spiralling costs, a National Day of Action will get underway this morning calling for public affordable childcare in next month's budget. A return to low rates of inflation is likely to be gradual and uneven. That's according to the Central Bank, who published its third quarterly bulletin this morning. The good news coming from this morning's bulletin is that inflation is easing. And a helpline for victims of crime has noted massive increases in reports of LGBTQ and racist hate crimes. It received more than 5,800 contacts in total last year. That's an increase of almost one-fifth on the previous year. These stories and much more between now and 11 on The Michael Reed Show. If you want to get in contact with us, you can text or WhatsApp 86 658 or email michael at lmfm.ie. A couple of things. It's ploughing championships a week. If you are going to Rathaniska, I've just looked at photographs from the championships this morning that were posted to me. It is horrific. Please bring rain gear, umbrellas, Wellingtons and a power hose to power hose yourself down on the way home because conditions aren't great down there and according to the weather forecast things are probably going to get a little bit worse as well as the day goes on so just bear that in mind very interested to hear your thoughts on uh, news that Mickey Hart has stepped away as senior football manager for Louth GAA I want to hear your thoughts on that WhatsApp 0861800658 and just on that story um He's going to become the new dairy manager. That's according to the statement that came out from Louth GAA. Uh, uh, the statement thanked Hart and his assistant, Gavin Devlin, for their efforts in propelling Louth senior footballers into Division 2 from Division 4 in 2020. The statement added that Louth would immediately begin a process of seeking a new senior football manager. It's been expected that Hart and Devlin would continue their stellar work into 24. The three-time All-Ireland winning manager had been among the names that linked to the vacant dairy job in recent weeks. Now, just before I came on air, uh, I spoke to Dan Bannon of Louth and Proud Podcast and asked him what happened. Well, there's kind of a mixed varies to the reason why Mickey has walked away. Um, I think there's a real incentive of winning another All-Ireland. You know, with this dairy group, they went close. Um, they went close last season to um, Kerry. And the season before, they went close with Galway. The vacancies arisen with um, Rory Gallagher's controversial exit. Kieran Meenan, the interim manager, has decided not to go ahead. Um, that was only made last Monday. So obviously there was an approach made over the weekend because Mickey had been going to games. I know for a fact that the, the 2024 preparations have been underway. They've been, like, they've been doing stuff off the scenes, they've been looking at new players. They've been doing fitness tests with the players that have been there. But it, it's nearly a case of Fitz or Peter Fitzpatrick and Mickey Hart come hand in hand. Peter Fitzpatrick's term as chairman is coming up at the end of next year. Mickey Hart's support contract, his commitment was to 2025. So he's probably looking at it and thinking, hold on a minute, I might just, I'm probably just, my loyalties would be to Peter Fitzpatrick for reasons for coming into the county. If Peter leaves at the end of his term, we might just miss this opportunity in taking Derry over 
and we might not get this golden opportunity once again. That that would be my reasoning on it in, in terms in practical sense, putting my myself into Mickey Hart's shoes, Alan. Okay, well, well, talk to me a little bit about when this news broke late last night, because I and you, and I'm sure many other people who read it, read it with a, a sense of shock, because it was totally out of the, the left side. So one must then wonder, was there something else going on? Was there a falling out? Was there something else at play here? Are we just reading into something that doesn't exist? Well, I, I, I've from dealt with Mickey, he's he's fairly straight. He keeps his um, cards close to his chest. He it, it's similar to the fashion that he came into loud. Huge secrecy, massive um, explosion of of breaking news. But I think I think maybe he was caught slightly on the hop in that the suddenness of it and the fact now that um, loud have. Uh, Legier have in fact anointed Mickey as Derry um, Derry's new manager. That is that is still unconfirmed. This is all unconfirmed because the Derry County Board are meeting tonight, um, Tuesday night, to ratify uh, Mickey's um, taking over of of the job in in Derry. So I don't think there's anything at play. I, a lot of people are well. When you first get the phone calls last night, it's after a heavy weekend of club action, and it's the last thing you're expecting. Um, in Loud last night, we were waiting for the 8 o'clock draw for the semi-finals, intermediate and junior championship. So when my phone was hopping in half an hour before, I thought, geez, I can't believe there's this much interest in a draw. But then, yeah, the news, the news broke about 20 past 7. And and then the players were, were, to, were spoken to by Peter Fitzpatrick, the current Loud panel, were all brought in and told of the news. So Mickey Hart didn't speak to his players. didn't, And I don't know whether that's Mickey's fashion but I would like to think he would have loyalty to them, that he would have liked to spoken, have a have a chat with them, um, as a group. Just um, just on, just on that point, I mean, the players yeah. held him in very high esteem. I mean, Mickey Hart's record speaks for itself. He's a winner. If you have Mickey Hart on board, you're going places, and we've seen that with the Louth team. So, how have the players reacted, or is it too early to to um, gauge that at the moment, Dan? Well, well, from from initial reports, they're, they're gutted. Um, and, and and as well as Mickey leaving, I think the real where the players are really feeling this is um, his sidekick Gavin Devlin, the man who does the coach and he's very hands on on the field. That's where like a lot of them would have built up really strong relationships, personal relationships with Gavin Devlin, and they really believed there was a synergy there. And what he whatever he did was the best um, around the country. So they'll feel that. I think that's where they'll feel the real loss. Mickey's obviously the the man at the helm, the focal point. He whatever Mickey asked for, he got, and because Mickey asked for it, he got it. You know that's in that sort of um, cyclical nature. And then underneath it, Gavin Devlin on the field was was so good. The players really really bought into what he did. They carried out the letter of the law, and you can see the results and the progress was mainly with those two working in tandem. Mm. Okay, to the future. Yeah, to the future then, Dan, everybody's replaceable. We saw that down in Kilkenny with Brian Cody. The world keeps going on. The sun will rise in the morning (laughs) and set in the evening. So who is potentially going to fill those shoes? Well, it's very early days. Like, so obviously it's very early days. There's there's rumours floating out. But where Loud have been caught here is that they've already made their preparations um, for next season. 
this is really uh, the carpet has really been swept from under their feet because even just in uh, one of the names Mickey Graham was was touted but then how quickly does GA News move fast? He's already been appointed as as coach with, with Leitrim. Um, there's, uh, and then even re- very locally, Colin Nally, very highly rated coach, would have been on the ticket a couple of years ago. Colin Kelly, he's he's been snapped up by Kildare. Ushie McConville, who would have had really strong links with uh, DKIT, he's been taken. He's taken over for Wicklow. So there's a lot of candidates that. Um, for the contingency project for Loud, is going to be, it's very tough because it's there's there's no real time there's no real time for a planning process. Obviously, it's been headed up now. Francis McMullen, um, Bob Doherty, Peter Fitzpatrick, have started to put the putting a list of names together. You're probably going to look at the old reliables. You're going to, Jim Gavin, Packer Roy are going to be always nominate for any vacancies so you can they do what they did in Dublin and transfer that somewhere else like like Mickey has done outside of Tyrone um, and then you're looking maybe locally with Fergal Real he's had so many wins in the local level he'd know the, 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 the county inside out um, Colin Kelly would he go up throw his name back in the hat Wayne Cairns he was, he's with a local club former loud manager who Mickey replaced could he come back in and do a job um, I'm sure there might be bigger names, but I'm I'm not sure of them yet. I'm not sure where Loud even strategically look towards now, because luckily enough, you you have a good um, group underneath Mickey Hart and Gavin Devlin. It's Kieran Sloan, a strength and conditioning coach. K- Caroline Courtney is nutritionist. Niall Sharkey and, and um, Peter Dooley are coaches there. So if you hold on to that group, Alan, and maybe bring in someone at the top at the helm to keep it streamlined and just keep the car on the road. Um, at this this real crucial juncture because we're coming into a, mm. a Division 2 campaign that will be tricky very I, very tricky now and it's obviously made even more tricky with Mickey's departure Just in closing Dan it's then reasonable to assume that this decision was taken purely for selfish reasons on the part of Mickey Hart that he wanted something perhaps that he couldn't get with the loud footballers that he may have been able to get with Derry is that, is that reasonable to say? Um, I would say I would say Mickey has Mickey has real his real ambitions and drive, and I think he probably thought he probably wants another All Ireland, and he, he he's ruthless in his in his nature. We've seen that we've seen that how he carries out his teams, and then to go and leave loud and stun loud like this, um, and, and it probably is in one sense selfish, but like to be a successful um, sports person. You have to have that edge. There you go. That was uh, Dan Bannon uh, speaking to me just before we came on air of the Louth and Proud podcast on Mickey Hart's departure. And Peter Fitzpatrick is chair of Louth uh, County Board and joins us as well this morning. Peter, good morning. Thanks for joining us. Doesn't show a great deal of loyalty on the part of Mickey Hart, does it? Well, first of all, Alan, uh, uh, the whole of the Lodge in the county is really disappointed. Uh, I got a phone call at 8 o'clock on Sunday evening from Mickey Hart and wanted to know could they meet up with me. Um, we agreed to meet at 10 o'clock in the Crown Plaza on, on Monday morning. I arrived in the Crown Plaza and I met himself and Gavin and we sat down and had a cup of tea in the school and we started talking about football. And he said, Peter, listen, I'm just, I'm just going to be straight out with you. He told me that he agreed a three-year term to manage Derry footballers and that the, the main carrot for leaving now was that he wanted to win one more All-Ireland. 
Right. So, so, so to hell with Loud. No loyalty. It's all no, about no, me. No, no, Selfish no. decision. I want an All Ireland. To hell with you guys. Well, we built a fantastic relationship up with Mickey. Oh, I know that. I mean, but but, uh, but to take it for what it is, uh, Peter, it was no loyalty. He turned us back because he uh, wanted something that he couldn't deliver in Loud. Uh, three years ago, Alan, uh, we were in all-time low. We got relegated to Division Four. Uh, we went out and we, we pursued Mickey Hart and Mickey Hart gave a commitment and for the last three years Mickey Hart has given Night Football an unbelievable service. He got us in Division 4, Division 3, you know, Lancer Final. Like he, he's done a lot but I will be very, very honest with you. Uh, and I, I, I've got a good personal relationship with Mickey and Gavin. It was, it was a real, real kick in the teeth. I didn't see it coming. Uh, we've been preparing for the last number of months now. Mickey and Gavin has given extra programmes to the players. The players are, are fully behind We're fully behind them. Uh, we didn't see it coming. Uh, we wanted to excel next year in Division 2 and making uh, even two or three weeks ago we were just talking about how do we get in Division 1 and what extra resources we need we've been thinking loud says what Mickey wants Mickey gets like for the last three years no matter what Mickey had and manager team wanted loud never went, not wanting it's disappointing we uh, glad, uh, we agreed yesterday uh, after the meeting that uh, we wouldn't, wouldn't inform anyone to after 7 o'clock mm. so Mickey wanted to, Mickey wanted to do some of the dairy and I wanted to call my management committee in and the players so last night in Darvaux at 7 o'clock I called a meeting and we had a management committee and the players from the Lodge AGA OK I'll, I'll get to that in a moment Peter, Peter yeah. but let's just call it for what it is you were stabbed in the back well I don't call it stabbed in the back I just say we're grateful to have the calibre of Mickey Hart for the last three years managing the Lodge the football team Mickey, Mickey, Mickey has took us a long 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 way uh, Mickey is a very ambitious individual uh, maybe he felt as though he took loud as far as he could he was uh, yesterday morning. He just said to me he couldn't sleep for three or four days, having to come and meet me. And but sure, was it, was there not talk of another an extension of that contract for another two years? No, we already agreed there uh, last year. Mickey Mickey has agreed to stay on for life for another two years. So Mickey was going to, Mickey 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 did, did, did give a commitment that he's going to stay for life for the last two years. I just said to Alan is well, even this year alone we'd we'd strike condition and we're doing our preparations. Like even when Live would beat in, in the championship, the players really were looking forward to next year. We give them extra programs, and just like the whole thing, everything like nobody's seen this coming. Yeah. Uh, okay. Let, let's we, just we, talk about the players in this because they they are central to what is happening here at the moment. You talk about commitment and the commitment that Mickey Hart put in. What about the commitment, the long evenings, the weekends, the travel that the players have put in, and the one hundred percent commitment that they have put in, only to be told, "That's it, guys. I'm off the stage. You're now going with somebody else." In this, how do you propose? How do you suppose they're feeling? Well, Alan, I've been involved, I, I, I was a player for life for 16 years and I've been involved with life for a lo- long number of years. Uh, I've never in all my time seen a commitment. This bunch of lads would train seven days a week, 24 hours. They were totally and utterly committed. Now, when I made the announcement last night, we went into the dressing room in, in Darvo with the manager committee and the players. We all sat in the room and I'm telling you, I've never seen a bunch of lads like it. But at the end of the, the half an hour, 40 minutes we discussed it, it was... We all said, listen, we're all loud people and we're going to do our best to continue on it. And from, from being a low, from their heads bent low, all of a sudden, now, like, we, as a management committee, we give a commitment that we're going to leave no stone in town. People told me at the time that Mickey Hart would never come and manage the life football team. Is we, we started last night. We were searching to get a successor. Uh, these, these lads who give the commitment to Mickey and Gavin for the last, for the last uh, three years, and as I said, I've never seen such a committed bunch of lads. Okay, well, well, Peter, did they all wish him well, or were there dissenting voices in the manner in which he decided just to walk away? Uh, 
uh, everybody was disappointed, but everybody wished Mickey well because, in, in fairness, like uh, he's, he's, he's left, he's left Lloyd in a good place, as I said, compared to we were three years ago. Listen, Mickey is a very ambitious individual, and he was straight up with me three year time with Derry, and he wanted to win one more All Ireland before he retired. So I told her I, I was up front. All the lads in the moment is so. Uh, I think if, if you're up front, so it's up to us now as a as a, as a manager committee to go away and replace Mickey and Gavin. It is going to be very very hard to replace him because and because they did set a very high standard, and plus the fact too it's in September, in the middle of September. Uh, this team, uh, the team will be back training in November, getting ready for the National League at the end of January. We have a lot of pressure ahead of us. We're not going to panic. It's very important that we get the right person in to, to do the job. Uh, I heard, I heard uh, uh, Daniel Bannon on beforehand and he was saying, mentioned the end of the year. Like, it's not going to be handy to be placing, but there is someone out there. I'm a firm believer things work out for a reason. So I'm just hoping that we can go out there and entice the right people to come in. Mm. And OK, well, well, clearly, Peter, you've got a hit list of people that you want to go for. So let's end the speculation here this morning. Give me the top three people that you'd like to see going for that gig. Well, as chairman of the county board, I give a commitment to my manager committee meeting last night that uh, anyone, that they'd be, they'd be the first to know. Uh, I have a list of four or five individuals at the moment which I will be contacting over the next, next number of days. And uh, in fairness, Alan, I don't think I'll be doing a job, I'll be doing an injustice I, I get that, but will they be of the calibre of Mickey Hart? Will they be of the calibre of somebody that's required in order to bring the footballers to the next level? Yeah, the name, the name. Listen, the, the problem we have at the moment is, I'm sure a lot of the names that we 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 put in, in, in into our book last night is, I'm sure they've been already contacted by other countries and other clubs at the moment. Is, uh, listen, we're going into the unknown. As I said, it's the middle of September. Uh, uh, all all I can do, Alan, is is. Right there, and like we 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 set ourselves a high standard, and we will be looking for a manager to 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 excel. Uh, what Mickey Hart has done the last number of years, and I said, yeah, we leave no stone unturned. And uh, I don't know your program. Your your program has a massive, big listening right there at the moment. Is if there's any high caliber manager interested in the light senior manager job, <laughs> just, just, just give me a But as I said, yeah, there's no there's like you know there's no stone going to be left. And Alan, this is very very serious. Uh, I honestly, I I I would be honest. I feel let down. Uh, I'm just disappointed for the players. Like it's not nice going into a room and seeing young lads at the age of 19, 20, and 21 have put their whole life in hold yeah. for the last number of years. Well, look, Peter, l- let's just talk about those people who go out every week, sometimes a couple of t- uh, times a week, to support the footballers, to support GAA. They'll be disappointed. They'll have felt seriously let down by this decision by Mickey Hart, won't they? Well, uh, in fairness, I, I think. Uh, the people in there got to actually love Mickey Hart. Like, you know, Mickey and Gavin were very, very generous at the time. Uh, like for the last three years, we've been on If you look, for example, O'Neill's boats there, like, if you go back three years ago, I think we sold a year roughly about 250 jerseys. I think in the last number of years, we've jumped from 250 jerseys to 6,000 jerseys a year. So you, you can see the kind of jump in support. Like, it's great to be walking around County Loud now at the moment. Is, like, for years and years, there, you walk around the county and you couldn't see anyone wearing jerseys. Now it's all back. Like the, the supporters and Mickey, we all embrace together. Is uh, it's disappointing. Listen, I'm, I, I'm not. I'm not trying to cover it up. I'm. I'm. I'm disappointed. I'm gutted. Okay. I, 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 Peter, just before we leave it, definitely no row. Was there a row? No. Uh, to, to be honest, uh, in the three years Mickey Hart was managed, so managed his life up with him and Gavin, we never had one crossword. Okay, that's uh, put we, to bed. Uh, the next thing we need uh, to understand uh, is when will we have a new manager? What's the timeline on this? Because as you say, the clock is ticking on it. We'll have, we'll, have, we'll have a new manager ASAP. 
And that's all you're prepared to say? Not a week, a month or whatever? ASAP? Alan, I, I, Alan, I have to contact these people, Alan, and I okay. started there last night. And, and in fairness, it's no way me saying them. Like, the bottom line is, and the most important thing is, we have to be sure that we get the right person in the manager's IT. Understood. And if that takes a week or a month, whatever time it takes, we'll get the right person in. Grand stuff. And if you want an old dog for the long road, I'll send you in my CV, Peter. Thanks, Alan. <laughs> Peter Fitzpatrick, Chair of Loud County Board, thank you for joining us this morning. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Welcome back to the programme. Now, if you want to WhatsApp us, it's 86 Email us, michael at lmfm.ie. Particularly interested to hear, you know, the level of reaction in relation to Mickey Hart's departure as the manager of the Louth uh, County football team. I'd be interested to hear, particularly for those who have been following the team and any players who are out there as well. As you've been hearing on the news, a return to lower rates of inflation is likely to be gradual and uneven. That's according to the Central Bank, who published its third quarterly bulletin this morning. Good news coming from that report is that inflation is easing. However, despite this, it still remains high with further decreases sensitive to global shocks and the persistence of significant domestic demand. Joining us this morning is economist Austin Hughes. Austin, good morning. Thank you for joining us. Before I get to the quarterly, can we just touch on briefly uh, the Fed and the Bank of England? It's a big week for them and what tends to happen there might reflect what's going to happen in Europe. Let's start with the Fed. Are they going to raise rates, do you think, this week? It's a close call there. They, they've signalled that they they may pause, but there are worries that inflation is going down fairly slowly at the moment in the U.S. And in contrast to most other economies, uh, you know, the larger economies, the U.S. economy is still firing really strong. The, the likelihood is that they will pause, but probably warn that rates could go higher over the next while whereas the, the risks are that the Bank of England are, are go, going to just, a bit like the ECB, we meet, therefore we raise rates. Uh, and that so will be, as I understand it, potentially the 15th time that they're going to do it. Yeah, yeah, it, it's very bad news there, but they're concerned uh, that inflation has become more domestic in nature in, in the UK, uh, that there are more domestic pressures rather than global pressures feeding inflation and consequently they feel that they have no option but to, to raise rates further. Okay, just um, just before we get to inflation, I want to talk about the ECB and the potential for them to make another uh, increase in rates. Are we now at the peak that will be held there for a considerable period you anticipate? It's still a bit of a lottery, Alan. You know, it depends on whether energy prices continue to rise, whether there's, uh, you, you know, further signs of an uptick in what's called underlying inflation. And there are risks in that regard that people are, uh, you know, protecting themselves from higher inflation by raising their prices. So in that regard, I think, you know, it's probably 80 to 90 percent clear that uh, rates have peaked, but there's a, a small risk that some of the more hawkish members of the ECB feel that the job isn't fully done. Now, to my mind, they've already gone far too far, um, but, you know, I don't think you can definitively rule out any possibility of a further rate hike. I think it's unlikely, but it's not impossible. What the listeners to this programme want to know is when can they expect to be paying less for day-to-day items in the supermarket for petrol, for heating? When will that happen? Now, we know, according to the quarterly from the central bank, that inflation is on a downward trajectory, albeit slowly. 
Okay. Um, well, maybe they should hope that Mickey Hart comes back to the house <laughs> and put their plans to that. You know, it's going to take a long time before prices actually fall for things. This is one of these issues, Alan, where there is a disjoint between economists who talk about the rate of inflation. That means how fast are prices going up um, and most ordinary folk who talk about the cost of living, which means how dear are things and will prices go up further or will they fall back? If inflation eases, it means that prices are still going up, but they're not going up as fast. Whereas what you, you suggested here is people want to see some relief in terms of prices actually falling. And the problem there is it really doesn't look like inflation or inflation is going to turn negative anytime soon. So therefore, we have to look at the possibility of wage growth catching up on price inflation for it to reach equilibrium. Is that a fair assessment? I, I think so. But I think even there, it's probably going to be the case that for you know, most workers, uh, you're going to see wage growth lag inflation. The first, in the spring quarter of this year, inflation was 6.6% in Ireland. Uh, average wage growth in the private sector was 3.8%. It was a little bit higher in the public sector because the, the pay agreement. But you're still talking about, you know, people feeling that prices are running ahead of wages. And I think that will continue continue unless the government ignores the central bank advice in terms of inflation, because mm. most of the media uh, coverage of the central bank quarterly is warning that the central bank is saying the government can't um, put more money in the economy or it risks making inflation more persistent. And that's what now, they're potentially doing if you listen to the kite-flying exercise on the part of the government pre-budget 2024. They're talking about, well, we're going to have to uh, take measures in order to try and do something to alleviate the problems that consumers are faced over the cost of living crisis. We're going to get fuel allowances and everything else. That's going to feed into inflation. I'm not sure it will. Now, I'm in a minority there, Alan. The central bank, the SRI, the Fiscal Advisory Council are all warning that that's what happens. But I don't think this is normal inflation. Again, if your, your listeners probably will hopefully feel the same way. You know, this is, we haven't seen food prices rising as dramatically in the past. It's not because people are eating more. It's not demand pressures. Similarly, people are not putting more fuel in their car. It, they're not heating their houses warmer now. It's not because demand pressures are causing problems in terms of heating and uh, transport bills. It's supply shocks. And in that regard, I think what the government is doing is actually sensible. I think what it needs to do is to try and compensate people, not fully, but significantly for the rise in prices and then you end up of hopefully avoiding kind of uh, a sort of spiral whereby if my if the my prices i face go up 10 percent i look for a wage growth of 15 yeah. percent if a company faces wage growth of 15 percent it puts all its prices up 20 percent i think by the government stepping in here and helping 
with the cost of living on a once-off basis, I think it lessens the risk of this sort of spiral that the central bank and other sort of prominent economists or economic institutions are warning about. This time it's different. Okay, I want to just talk to you. We're running out of time on this, Austin. A couple of things that strike me. Number one, when you squeeze the economy the way it's been squeezed at the moment, where no available income is uh, being put back into the economy because of the increase in interest rates, particularly the impact that's had on tracker mortgages. Less money available, less services being bought, less people going out to enjoy themselves. That will have ramifications if it's protracted that we could be on the verge of looking at potential slowdown, potential recession. I I think so, definitely. And the central bank's own research says that the rise in interest rates that we've seen is the equivalent of a shock that would take 80,000 jobs out of the Irish economy. So, you you know, this will limit demand, which is why I think the government has some scope to actually put a little bit more money in people's pockets to offset these other issues. The central bank is also warning of a slowdown in the multinational sector. Mm -hmm. And again, that is one of the things, you know, there is heat coming out of the economy so a little bit of support uh, is in that sense I think justifiable and appropriate in the budget. Okay. It's not a case of back in the 2000s where everyone gets an extra 10 or 20 percent more. It's a case of a small amount to offset these shocks to the economy. Let's try the Let's try and leave it on a positive note if we can and look at the overall health of the economy going into the future and if we look at modified domestic demand, which is the new GDP. GDP was not a very good uh, barometer of how we were doing because it took into consideration, as I understand it, FDI. But we're talking about uh, forecasting growth, 2.9%, 2.6%, 2.3% and up to 2025. Not huge numbers, but but consistent numbers and the sort of numbers you'd expect in this particular um, economic climate, Austin. They're not huge numbers, but they're about two to three times what we're seeing across the rest of Europe. Ireland is doing well. The central bank is also forecasting employment will continue rising in spite of the impact of higher interest rates and the unemployment rate will stay low. The government finances are still in a very strong surplus. So, you know, it's an autumn in terms of, you know, it's a bit tougher. It's not the heat of summer in terms of the economy, but it's not the winter that many other economies are facing providing, as I say, the government helps a little bit and just warms us up with, you know, targeted measures to to support the economy in the upcoming budget. Very good. Austin Hughes, economist, thank you for joining us this morning. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. WhatsApp 086-1800-658 or email michael at lmfm.ie. From what I can gather, there's an awful lot of comments coming in in relation to the item on Mickey Hart. We'll get to those um, probably in the second hour of the programme because time's against us. So uh, let's move on. A public meeting was held last night in Drogheda highlighting a campaign by former Mayor of Drogheda, Frank Godfrey, to tackle the manner in which local motorists and visitors alike have been treated what he has described as appallingly with the closure of the historic Boyne Obelisk Bridge. Uh, Mr Goffrey said the closure of the bridge adds further inconvenience and costs for those affected and they are being treated appallingly by Louth and Meath County Councils along with Transport Infrastructure Ireland, the toll operators, Celtic Roads Group and Minister Eamon Ryan and Frank Godfrey joins us this morning. Frank, thanks for joining us. You do accept, Frank, that, you know, to make an omelette you've got to break eggs and work has to be done on this bridge and we just got to suck it up. That's uh, that's true, Alan. 
Yeah, very good morning to you. Um, uh, yes, uh, there is a lot of issues around the Obelisk Bridge at the moment and uh, traffic congestion in the town of Drogheda and uh, motors are very angry and feel let down uh, by the uh, government and uh, the Minister of Transport that, uh, and the local Loud uh, uh, County Council that... Uh, they didn't get any proper planning or no communications uh, and uh, the, uh, the effects that this is having on business, uh, on workers, on schools, colleges and all the rest and the congestion in, in particular is, is, is playing havoc with... Uh, OK, Frank, we'll, we'll get to those issues but let's just wind back a bit here. We knew this work was going to be undertaken, it had to be done. The council. Yeah, the, yeah that. I yeah. know that the council did. Yeah, the council did engage in a process whereby they had to tell individuals that this was going to happen. Alternative arrangements yeah. were put in place for plas- mm. traffic plans or whatever. So they can't do much more than that, can they? Well, I, I think it, 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 the, the, there was a breakdown in communications and um, if you look at the signs, the version signs all over the place, what did they mean to tourists, uh, visitors to the uh, town? Uh, they could take you anywhere and uh, in general, uh, I think that there has been a breakdown in communications and uh, they need to keep in touch with the general public of what is actually happening in the town and any rerouting of, of traffic would be a help. There was, no, there was nothing like that put into to, to a plan. So uh, it, it was mismanaged from day one as far as I'm concerned. The works had to go ahead at the obelisk. I've been campaigning for 40 years for that works there more than anyone and I'm glad to see that the old bridge is going to be restored to its former glory but it's the traffic congestion the effects that's happening on business uh, and um, uh, taxis uh, emergency services uh, farming all the, the uh, lorries and um, tractors everything is coming into Drada now because they can't okay. go across that bridge so okay, there is we, a lot we, of traffic congestion we, we get that Frank so we, we know what the issues are we want to hear solutions and that's what the council wants to hear that's, Work, that's workable correct. solutions what are they yeah well, the workable solutions is to uh, suspend the, the tolls at under the North Road. That's that, that's the big solution. Well, I can uh, tell you here and now, and I don't work for the council or not a spokesperson. That ain't going to happen. Uh, that may not happen, but it, it, it did happen on one occasion some years ago um, when the, um, the, the haulage um, or lorries and that were off the, the uh, road for uh, I think it was for a month and it was Leo Baraka when he's Minister for Transport actually suspended the, 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 the tolls at that time uh, for one month to try it out and uh, there was a great response from the farming community and haulage people and all of yeah, that yeah, but you do, you, you, you do. Uh, so if they've done it then they've done it yeah. and they've done it in Dublin as well so they did lift the tolls in, in other parts and why not do it here in Drada yeah, but you do accept that this is perceived to be a local issue and you won't get intervention from the Taoiseach of the Minister for Transport to, to come to your rescue well, it, it on this. Well, if it was in their own constituency, Alan, uh, I, I do believe that the, 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 the tolls would be suspended. If, the, in, if there were in Dublin, the, the, there'd be uproar. And um, I definitely believe mm. that the Minister for Transport, Eamon Ryan, and uh, the Taoiseach would act on this. Um, and... Uh, the toll operators haven't been very helpful here either. I mean, there should be some gesture of goodwill. Even if they put the contract back by one year, I think there's seven or eight years left of the 30-year uh, contract. That would be a big help now if, if, they, if they could arrange that okay. with, with the Minister for Transport. So we, we, that, that, would be another, that would be a solution. And so there are ways out of this, but 
uh, there seemed to be no uh, goodwill, and the government seemed to be silent on this. Me County Council have been silent as well. Okay, um, but what has what the local authority been saying to you? Well, the local authority is not saying very, very much to anybody other than advertisement and papers, and it's very hard for anybody to get any... Uh, this is why I'm talking about breakdown in communications, uh, to get any information on what's happening in and around Drada other than what you see, and that is uh, big tailbacks and uh, long delays and lots of inconvenience uh, for uh, hard-pressed motorists who are paying big taxes, and the increases on the tolls as well, it's totally unacceptable here in Florida Frank, Frank, time is against me here, but I want to ask you, have you considered escalating your protests or your um, unhappiness beyond having public meetings? do. We hope to go to the Dáil and uh, um, protest outside the Dáil. We hope the Minister of Transport will come out and meet us and also the Taoiseach will come out and meet us. Um, uh, also, uh, we, we've had the petition on the town, very, very successful. A great response uh, to our campaign. We have a protest on the Donor um, uh, M1 uh, ramp uh, on uh, Sunday from uh, 12 to 1, and anyone's like to come along and join us. We're practically on the tolls uh, once every week uh, for the last uh, month and a half. So, And uh, we had a great successful meeting at the D Hotel last night. Two uh, uh, Mead councillors were there, Wayne Harding and Paddy Mead, and and Rory Morgan was also there, a long-time campaigner. So uh, we're getting great support, but the tolls are hurting through the motors big time, and uh, they want something done. And all okay. we can do is, 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 is keep going, and uh, our campaign is getting great support um, all round. OK, Frank, we've got to leave it there. Frank Godfrey joining us this morning. Thank you for that. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, just before pressing on, returning to an issue we covered on the show last week. Listeners may remember Michael's conversation with Anne, who called us seeking help for her son, who's a heroin addict. During the interview, Anne made reference to her son's experience with Drahada Homeless Aid. The manager of DHA has contacted us with a response to what was said. Drada Homeless Aid denies a report on LMFM that a person was excluded from the hostel for falling behind by one week's rent. Drada Homeless Aid recognises that the impact of addiction on the family is immense. To the parent who contacted the station, the love for your son and your hope for his recovery is clear. While we're bound by restrictions in capacity, legislation and policies that does not diminish our awareness of the impact of addiction on families. Although I cannot comment on individual cases, I can assure you that no person is ever excluded from Drogheda Homeless Aid for non-payment of one week's rent. As is common in our work practice, we arrange payment plans with all clients and support them on their journey towards independent living. If a client is excluded from the service, it's for many reasons. There's a warning process towards exclusions and clients are always and consistently informed. If they are at risk of losing their bed, they are supported to improve their circumstances. We have a duty of care to all our clients and staff. Out of respect for all involved, I cannot discuss individuals or our work practices in detail. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. 
It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Drada Homeless Aid is a 27-bed emergency hostel and we have limited beds available. When we are full to capacity, we cannot take any more homeless people in. To explain the process for availing of an emergency bed, the homeless person must be registered with their local county councils, in our case, Louth and Meath. Any homeless person referred for a bed comes through the county council's homeless service teams. This is the process for homeless services countrywide, unless a service operates a bed on a night-to-night basis. Drada Homeless Aid does not operate this type of service. Unfortunately, the regulatory process dictates that we can only provide services to a limited number of people. However, every year Drogheda Homeless Aid participates in the Cold Weather Response Initiative, working in conjunction with the county councils to facilitate rough sleeping people and provide as much shelter as possible to as many people as we can and in accordance with our capacity. Just before we move on, we are getting deluged by the number of comments in relation to Mickey Hart. And if you want to get in on this, you can WhatsApp us on 086-1800-658. Read Mickey Hart. Sheila is sorry to see Mickey Hart go, given how he has improved things in the Louth camp. But she says she's not surprised to see him leave. She felt it was always inevitable that he would return to one of the Ulster teams. Thomas and Dulik says, Hi Alan, I'm hearing Joe Sheridan's lined up for to become the new Louth manager and help them win the Leinster title. You can read that into yourself. Sean says, Mickey just did what is best for Mickey Hart. He didn't give a jot about the feelings of the players, the management team or the fans and made no effort to stand by them in any way. Good riddance to him, Sean says. Onwards and upwards now for the team, he says. Again, Mickey Hart. Tommy says, Mickey Hart and his team worked wonders for Louth and it's a real kick in the teeth to lose him. But his departure isn't a huge shock. Fingers crossed the county board managed to attract someone of a similar level of experience to help keep the current momentum going. Just some of your comments there in relation to Mickey Hart. Ireland remains at 101st in the world in the number of women elected to the Doyle, which is 23% of TDs being women and 26% of our local councillors being women. According to Women for Election, it unbalances our democracy and means that the crucial voice of women across Irish society is not represented in decision-making at political and legislative level. Katie Deegan, Communications Manager with Women in Elections, joins us this morning. Uh, Morning, Katie. Thank you for taking our call this morning. Things have got a little bit better, albeit slowly. Is that fair to say? Morning, Alan. Thanks for having me on. Um, I'm here at the busy loud flowing, so I hope you can hear me okay. Gotcha loud and clear. Perfect, perfect. Yeah, things have gotten better, but definitely not as quickly as we would like them. Um, the, we have a goal of, 30, of 50-50 by 2030, um, and we want to be sure that that is achieved. So obviously with local elections around the corner, we know that our councils are the bedrock for a lot of our politicians in our national parliament. So we want to ensure that women are being trained and supported to run for local elections in 2024 
um, so that we can see a really good pipeline of women going through to our national parliament, but also that, you know, there's good representation of diverse amount of women on our local council mm-hmm. as well, because we obviously know the importance and the impact that local politics can have on our communities. And we, we, we've seen the impact of what Quotas has achieved um Uh, At national level, we need, according to yourselves, quotas at local level, because that's, as you say, where, you know, women and men begin their apprenticeships in politics. And if we have the quotas in there and we see an uplift in women, that's a good thing. Absolutely. And, you know, like quotas are a blunt tool instrument to try and, you know, increase the amount of women that are in politics. And we've seen them work at a national level. So we would love to see the government implement them ahead of local elections next June, um, and we would love to see that number of only um, 26% women being local councillors across the country increase. Now, it's not just about quotas that will get women into politics. There's so many other things at play here that's required when you consider traditionally, and thankfully this is also changing as well, where where women tend to be the ones who are the caregivers to children, and they tend to be the ones who are pulling the household together. It is changing, albeit slowly as well, but that needs to be addressed as well. I mean, we see this morning where there's a a, a day of protest around the whole issue of childcare, where we need a model, a not-for-profit model, which will allow women to be freed up in order to pursue political aspirations. So there's that as well that's at play. Absolutely, and we talk an awful lot about the five Cs, one being care, um, that are prohibited or are barriers to women running for election. Um, and, you know, the National Women Council today have their day of protest mm-hmm. about childcare and we completely support that uh, campaign um, in the search or in the hopes for publicly funded healthcare or p- childcare because we know that it is a barrier that prevents women from, from running for election. But we also know that despite the five Cs, our research shows that women want to run regardless. We know that there is, you know, loads of women out there that, you know, have the ambition for their communities. They're already doing the work. You know, we all know that women are running our You know, they're running our GAA clubs, they're running our community halls, they're running our tidy towns. They're doing the work. We just want that to be reflected on the council seat. Do you detect um, a sense that there is still a degree of hostility among a certain cohort that are not too welcoming to women coming into politics? Yeah, I mean, look, like, there's always going to be levels of sexism there. You know, people will always ask, well why don't we provide training for men? And, and I suppose our answer to that is that our, you know, our sole purpose is to increase the amount of women that are running for election, increase the amount of women that are successful within election. Um, we're 101st in the world, like you mentioned previously. We're sitting behind countries like China and Pakistan. You know, we're not asking to completely eradicate men from our chambers. We're just asking for gender equality, which is 50-50. We want to see a diverse amount of women and men sitting at our council chambers that accurately reflects our population within society. And let's not forget, 51% of the population in this country are women, so there's a need there to have that to have that reflected. But if we look at um, other models and how they work uh, across the globe politically, where we have near equilibrium, equilibrium when it comes to women and men, do things operate better? Are we still having the same problems? Well, I think, you know, when, you know, when you look at a lot of, you know, gender equality research, it does say that, you know, with gender equality in our parliament, life tends to be better for everyone. You know, you get that better decision making because you're accurately reflecting the needs and the wants of the, um, 
of, of the society at hand. And I suppose like the most recent example and the most recent Irish example that I think everybody, you know, opened everybody's eyes to the need for gender equality was the lack of women at the decision table with Nessus yep. during the pandemic. And, you know, we saw decisions around children's shoes and clothing and schools and things like that. And that may be with, you know, an, an accurately representative board, we may have had different decisions being made um, that were that were better for our society. So I suppose, you know, we, we, we see the need for women and we know where the gaps are. We're doing the work. We're, we've loads of women that are putting their hands up and saying, you know, we want to run. We, we They're going to our trainings and they're phenomenally talented women. We just need people to vote for them now. Do you get the sense that there's a desire on the part of political individuals predominantly male that they want to expedite this and make it happen pretty quickly because you know to have to bring in quotas is certainly a blunt instrument and it's forcing them into a position perhaps they don't want to be forced into absolutely and i i suppose you know with a lot of there are a lot of men that would love to see the status quo remain however we have experienced an awful lot of support from government and opposition tds senators councillors you know, supporting our work, you know, men across the board that want to see our work succeed. They want to us, They want to help us reach a goal of a thousand women on the ticket for, you know, 2024. Um, and they want to see those women elected because they know that it's best for their communities. So, you know, as much as there is that, sometimes there is that little undertone of sexism um, and wanting to remain with the status quo, there's an awful lot of support. Uh, okay. Both in government and opposition. Just before I leave you, Katie, uh, can I ask you what's your what's your expectation around the local elections? Will we have a situation where there will be quotas introduced? I doubt it somehow, but uh, nonetheless, do you would you be of the view that we'll see a greater number of women standing in the local elections next year? Well, I'm not a betting woman, and <laughs> I hate to speculate. However, um, I do like to remain optimistic and I would like to think that, you know, gender quotas will be instated. Although time is ticking out, we would we, we remain optimistic that maybe gender quotas will um, be implemented ahead of 2024 and there most definitely will be more women on the ticket. Well, I'll tell you what, Katie, we, we've the Minister for Justice joining us very shortly. I'll perhaps put that question to her and see what she has to say about it. Absolutely. But, but, for, but for now, Katie, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Alan. Michael Reed on LMFM. Welcome back to the programme. If you want to give us uh, a call uh, this morning or email us, the WhatsApp is 0861800658 or you can email michael at lmfm.ie. The Minister for Justice, Helen McEntee, has said new a new agency to drive and coordinate the government's response to domestic, sexual and gender-based violence will be up and running by the end of January. The Minister has secured government approval to publish the Domestic, Sexual and Gender-Based Violence Bill, which is part of the government's commitment to tackling gender-based violence. And Minister McEntee joins us this morning. Minister, thanks for taking our call this morning. Just before I get to that, um, I just want to ask you a question in relation to the previous item we had on. We had uh, Katie Deegan from the Women in Elections organisation talk to us about the possibility of introducing quotas at local levels ahead of the local elections in 24. Is that something you'd you'd, um, agree with or would uh, throw your weight behind? It it is actually, and it's something that I've been saying for for some time. Um, It's more difficult, I think, to introduce it at a local election level because at a national level it's directly related to funding and parties and structures. But for me, if you are going to see a higher number of women looking to get involved in politics at a national level. So many people start at local politics. So to see those numbers coming through, if you don't have quotas 
at the local level, it makes it more difficult at the more senior level uh, or the, the more national level. So it's something I would support. I, I think it's not, you know, it's something that's been looked at previously. Um, but obviously for the upcoming election next year, I, I think it would be more challenging. But perhaps for the year after that, it, it is more likely to be an option. But it, it is, to be honest, something that I would very much support. OK, let's get to the domestic, sexual and gender-based violence bill. Um, will it be up and running in the time frame that you've outlined, January? Uh, the intention is that it will be up and running in January. Uh, and There's nothing to say that it won't. Uh, we have gotten approval, or I have gotten approval, for the bill to be brought into the Houses. Um, and that means that it will start moving through the Dáil and the Shannad uh, once the Dáil resumes, which is this week. Um, the intention is that it will be passed by the end of the year. And in fact, in the coming weeks, we'll be putting uh, or starting a competition for the CEO uh, so that we can start putting... Uh, I suppose, the people who are going to populate this agency in place so that it can be up and running. Um, I mean, this is this is the first time that we will ever have a statutory agency whose sole focus, whose sole responsibility uh, will be dealing with and trying to respond and tackle domestic, uh, sexual and gender-based violence. So it, it is such an important um, priority for me, but, but the whole of government, and that's why I am absolutely determined to see it up and running um, at the beginning of next year, next January. Okay, it's an agency that will have to deal with so many moving parts to try and tackle this, <coughs> excuse me, this particular issue. Will it be fit for purpose? Will we have to go back in six months or a year's time and make amendments to what its role is or what it should be and redraft what what its raison d'etre is? Well, I hope not. Um, and I mean, obviously, the, the bill itself has gone through a series of engagements. So really importantly, we have engaged with the sector itself so so many of the agencies you know the, the different organizations and you think of the ones that we have in mead we have the mead women's refuge you have the dundalk refuge you have the rape crisis network we've men's aid we've so many organizations across the country already doing fantastic work and in developing this bill and this agency we have engaged with them we've worked with them we've, we've sought their advice and their their views as to what would work but also we've looked at how structures have worked in the past so at the moment um when you have uh, at the moment, you have two sled the agency, obviously the child and family agency. They have people working within that organisation that focus on domestic violence. So we're taking the, you know, the, the experience that they have and the work that they do, and making sure that this agency is fit for purpose, so it does exactly what it needs to do. So maybe just to explain to, to people briefly what what its sole focus is. So it will be responsible for developing, managing, rolling out new refuge and accommodation, and obviously supporting the, the work that's already been done on the ground. It will support the various different services that work with people uh, who are victims and survivors. It will be responsible for coordinating the implementation of our zero tolerance strategy. That is a whole of government strategy that was published last year, again with the sole focus of dealing with and, and responding to domestic and sexual violence. It will also be responsible for awareness raising campaigns. So people might, um, you know, they, they might see them on their TV screens at the moment. You have the Still Here campaign. Uh, which was very prevalent during COVID-19. You have the uh, the No Excuses campaign. You have campaigns mm-hmm. around uh, sharing of intimate images online. They will be responsible for rolling out even more of those and then gathering data. So everything that we do needs okay. to be backed up by information and data. So there's a huge amount of work that's not to say, and in response to your question, if something needs to be changed, if something isn't working, if something, you know, if we need more of something else, 
then absolutely, you know, there's always an option there to amend it. But I want to make sure this is as good as it can be from the very beginning. Okay, it's it's success or otherwise will be predicated on a funding model that can deliver all the initiatives that it is charged to do. Is sufficient sufficient funding available? Will further funding be available if it's required? Absolutely. And I mean, just to, to get things up and running and on a yearly basis, we're talking about a budget of about three and a half million. You'll have a CEO working with about 30 staff members, um, which might not seem like a lot. But if you think of now, you have maybe a team of, of around 10 that are currently dealing with domestic and sexual violence directly through TUSLA. So we're, we're bulking up, we're expanding, we're, we're tripling the number of people that are going to be working on this through the agency. But this is part of a wider plan so the zero tolerance strategy which was launched last year was launched with a budget or a commitment over the years for 362 million um which will feed into not just the refuge and the accommodation and the money that's needed there but also other types of support that will be required across the various different departments my own included as well so there's a commitment for funding there's a commitment to deliver there's a commitment to have this in place as quickly as possible but i think what's most important for me in this is that is that this remains a priority. This is such a massive issue. It impacts on every single community, on every single town and village. And it's not enough to just be a focus or a priority for a few years. This has to be permanent. So this will mean we will now have a permanent structure in place. So no matter who the minister is, no matter what the government of the day, domestic and sexual violence will remain a priority. It will be funded. It will be resourced. And there will be a way in which this issue is going to remain permanently on the agenda okay. because it has to. Let, me, has let to. me ask you then, therefore, this is the panacea which we have been seeking for so long and we're not going to be in a position this time next year or 24 months' time where we're having conversations around there's not enough supports available, not enough refuge uh, available for individuals who are impacted by domestic violence. Is this it? We're now done. Problem solved. Absolutely not. I mean, the the zero tolerance strategy is a five year strategy. It's built on two previous strategies. And obviously the plan will be that you move on to the next strategy, um, you know, building on what we've done and what we've achieved. And while we're not anywhere where we need to be, a huge amount has been achieved, even by the previous strategies. I mean, it was not a crime. Domestic violence was not seen as a crime um, not that long ago. Um, We now have a commitment at a European level that we are following through on to make sure that the resources are there, the supports are there, but that we're looking at domestic violence in a different way. So even as recently as uh, the last five years, coercive control has now been uh, identified as having serious and detrimental implications. But the work will never be done. We we have to continue to support people and to put the resources in place. Um, And that commitment, because of this agency, it means it will remain on the agenda. And you do know that governments change, ministers change their portfolios. Continuity is absolutely paramount when it comes to the success of this particular initiative. What's to say it'll be off the boil next year or the year after if there's a change in government or change in minister? Well, this new agency will be put on a legal footing. It will be on a statutory basis. So for any new government or individual or minister to come in and to disband an agency where their sole focus is trying to support victims of domestic and sexual violence. I don't see that happening. No, really nor do I, I but their, their focus, they, they may not have laser focus like you have on this particular agency. 
And look, you, you know, that's always a challenge or that's always a possibility, no matter what issue you're talking about in politics. But I really do think that there is a greater focus, a greater understanding even. And unfortunately, COVID probably shone a spotlight on this, particularly for, for people who maybe, you know, weren't aware of what was going on around them, next to them and homes beside them. The amount of people who were trapped in their homes while it was a safe place for me and, and for many others during COVID-19, it was not a safe place for a lot of people. And I think this issue has come even more to the fore. Um, so I, I think there's definitely a change in people's views, people's attitudes, but we're, we're, we're still nowhere where we need to be. So, you know, I will, no matter how long I'm in politics or what role I'm in, I would continue to advocate for the need to support and work with victims and to try and prevent these type of behaviours. So much of it is it, it, it's the cycle and it continues, but we need to be talking about it. We need to be not just developing this agency, we need to continue to increase our funding. And I mean, in, in last year's budget alone, the funding for domestic violence services was increased by 20%. Okay. We have obviously discussions coming up in the next few weeks and I'll be doing everything that I can to see that budget increase even further. Before I let you go, Minister, um, are you on election footing? I, I think, well, we're, 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 we're always doing our work um, and, you know, an election can happen at any time. But um, I'm focused and, and always working in my constituency, always working in my, my job as Minister, um, irrespective of, of when there might be an election. Do you think we'll cut and run after the budget? To be honest, no, I I think this government has a huge amount of work still to do. I I think we're absolutely committed to continuing delivering, whether it's on housing, whether it's on what we've just discussed here and dealing with domestic violence, whether it's continuing to invest in health. You know, there's absolutely so much more that this government wants to do and and will do in the the years ahead, I have no doubt. Okay, very good. Minister for Justice, Helen McEntee, thank you so much for joining us. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. WhatsApp, text us 086-1800-658. Email michael at lmfm.ie. A National Day of Action got underway this morning calling for public affordable childcare in next month's budget. It comes as the Federation of Early Childhood Providers warned the decision by its members to close on September 26th to the 28th to highlight the financial crisis facing many providers. It says the closure will affect 90,000 children and will have a knock-on impact on parents' workplaces. Joining us this morning to discuss this is... Uh, None other than Ailish Balf, Care Officer with the National Women's Council of Ireland. Ailish, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Um, how are things going there? I understood it got underway around about 9.30 this morning in the Dublin city centre. It did. Good morning, Alan. Um, the weather was against us, but we managed to pull it off. So um, we have an event here this morning where we're listening to all the stakeholders in the earlier sector at the moment. So we have a provider of a community service. We have um, uh, Naomi Feely from the Children's Rights Alliance. We have um, a parent and we have a parent for Pave Point as well. So um, we have all the stakeholders here today who are interested in a public model. Yeah, and I think it's important to emphasise that it's not just the National Women's Council, that there's everybody who has uh, uh, and who has been affected and who requires childcare that are um, uh, massing there in, in, in Dublin. So what are the caregivers saying this morning? 
Well, we have our parents talking about the, you know, the horrendous experience they've had trying to access childcare. And um, we we heard from Sinead this morning, who started ring around twelve precious when she was twelve weeks pregnant. Um, and as you can imagine, um, she couldn't get anybody. She uh, was going into blind panic about whether she'd be able to go back to work or not. Um, and um, where she should have been enjoying her pregnancy, she actually had an Excel spreadsheet of um, services she used to ring every week to see where she was on the list. And at the moment, her child is three years old um, and he's 10th on one of the lists. But now, thankfully, she got a childminder and was able to go back to work. Um, so that's where we have it there. Well, well, can I tell you something, Ailish? And I'm sure there are many individuals listening of my vintage this morning. Nothing has changed in two decades. I have a daughter in her 20s, I have another daughter who's in her late teens. We had the same issues 20 years ago when it came to childcare. Nothing has changed. So what, what makes you think anything will change? Well, that's why we're calling on government this morning. So it's a national day of action where we're calling on government. The childcare sector is in crisis. And as you say, Alan, it's been in crisis for a long time now. Um, And it's time to just draw a line in the sand and go for that public funded model. We see it in other countries. It works very well. And it means a child has a right to early education, like they have a right to primary education and secondary school education. It's their right to go to early years education. Why don't we look to other models because I think about the Scandinavian model and that works exceptionally well where where you pay in but you get something out of it and it works pretty smoothly uh, and it has done for quite some time why can we never get it right when it comes to childcare? We, we need a commitment from government, we need a commitment for that public funded model because those lovely countries that we look to in the Scandinavian countries, they all have a public funded model. Um, I was an early years educator myself for 16 years and I, like, I, I, did, I did one of them for my thesis um, in college and it, it's, it's, it's the government who, uh, you know, who drives it, who pays the wages, who the, 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 the fees are either capped or they get it for free and it's an investment in government and that's what we have to see it as, as an investment in children, in investment in future, and and only then, when there's a cultural shift, will we be able to get this right. And just just to to let people understand the way the model works at the moment, you put a child into creche, you pay a fee every month. However, the situation that prevails at the moment is because of the cost of living crisis, the expenditure on the part of the creche operators has gone through the roof, and that is not being matched by, we'll call them subs from the parents who leave their children in there. So it does not work as a business model. And now we're in a situation where they're going to close their doors. And they've said that themselves. It will happen. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just calling on today for a public funded model. Um, so that's what, that's what the National Women's Council are calling on today. We need transparency as well. There is over 1 billion euro going into the sector at the moment. More money than ever. Um, but parents are still to the pin of their collar um, with fees. Providers are saying it's not working for them. And educators are still, be, are, are still working for below um, the living wage. And these educators are highly skilled and highly educated. So at the moment, it, we need transparency to see where that €1 billion Euro is going but because it's still not working for mm-hmm. anyone. Do you get the sense that frustration is beginning to boil over into anger because of the government's inaction on this and they're being presented with an opportunity in Budget 24 where there is money available to do something but perhaps they may not 
cannot do it because they've been dragged everywhere by every other organisation looking for money. Yeah, when, you know, obviously I'm in that demographic where I'm talking to people and they're saying they would rather see um, investment in care services than tax cuts. Um, and I think that's the way we have to go. We can't keep going around that, that, you know, private model where it's not working for anybody. And, you know, it's, you know, I'm coming from the sector where I've see, seen it, not just the privatisation of it, but it, now it's the marketisation of it, where children are seen as a commodity and we can't go down that road. OK, there we must leave it. Uh, Eilish Balf, Care Officer with the National Women's Council of Ireland. Thank you for joining us. Let's get to some of your comments. And it's all about the Mickey Hart Show this morning. Well, it's not really. Let's get uh, the one we were doing on the Obelisk Bridge there. Andy agrees with Alan that the repair works are necessary and have to be done. But he would also agree with Frank Godfrey that better forward planning was needed to help avoid the traffic congestion we're currently seeing in the town at certain times of the day. What is the problem when any works are carried out in this country? Why does it always result in chaos? Mickey Hart, Niall says, no disrespect to Lau, but Mickey Hart has taken Lau as far as he can. Derry are a much higher profile team. And if he wants All-Ireland success before he retires, then he has made the right decision. Noel says he doesn't know why the media are reporting Mickey's departure as a shock. It was widely reported during the season that he would stay with Louth until the end of this season. So his departure comes as no surprise to know. He says, good luck to Mickey, Gavin and the team for the rest of the future. Just some of your uh, comments. Oh, here's one here on gender quotas. Alan, it rather frustrates me when every every so often this subject comes up on your programme and others about gender quotas. Parties cannot force females to participate in the political process. They can hardly be expected to stand outside venues and press gang females into this life as was done in the olden days of sailors at sea. Hmm? To the best of my knowledge, there is nothing standing in the way of any lady who chooses to get involved in any political party, but should not expect a fast track to the next election. They should be prepared to serve their time in party duties until their chance comes to stand for local or national election. If they are, then the best candidate, not just females. That's from Tony in County Louth. Make that up what you will. Michael Reed on LMFM. Welcome back to the programme. Uh, fast running out of time this morning, so if you want to get your say in on Mickey Hart's departure as the manager of the Louth uh, County football team, you can text us on 86 or you can email us michael at lmfm.ie because the story that's just dominating everything this morning, and I've no doubt that it's going to trundle on for the rest of the day into the weekend and into next week, and of course the next story will be who's going to be actually taking up the mantle following his departure to Derry, and you were listening to what we were having the discussion about this morning with Peter Fitzpatrick, and that is who will the successor be? And Peter Fitzpatrick wasn't at liberty at that particular point to tell us who it may or may not be because he had to consult, obviously, with um, the upper echelons of the uh, county board before a decision was made on that. But from what we can gather, there are four or five potential names there in the boiling pot. And I would imagine the speculation will intensify over the next 48 hours and names will begin to pop up. They've already begun to pop up, but uh, we'll see where that goes and we'll see. And as I understand it, I don't think Derry have made an official announcement yet as to whether Mickey Hart is going over there. In fact, we, we were the ones who announced, as in Loud, the Loud County Board announced the fact that he was going to Derry, but we've heard nothing from Derry at this point. That may have changed. I don't know. I haven't had a chance to look at it. But one thing I have had a chance to look at 
was uh, Ratanisca. What's happening down there in terms of the uh, National Ploughing Championships? It's still pretty grim because the weather out there has deteriorated somewhat. And I know there was a number of uh, status yellow weather warnings issued by Met Aaron over the past 24 hours or so. And there's heavy rain due. And the pictures that I saw this morning with the individuals going in on, uh, 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 on, the, on the WhatsApp feed that I'm on, it was grim. It was muddy. There were people wearing Wellington boots. They were wearing heavy raincoats. So if you're going down there, please dress for the occasion because it's going to be pretty bad down there. And we know we had a situation some time ago because the weather was so bad it had to be cancelled. not saying that's going to happen now. I'm just saying dress appropriately. Okay, let's get to the LMFM Crime Desk. uh, And we're delighted to be joined for the first time in studio by um, Agartha from Dundalk. And her name is Rachel Copperthwaite, Community Policing Unit, Dundalk Gartha Station. Rachel, you're very welcome to us this morning. Let's deal with a story which we've been covering on the news. John Taylor, 73 years of age, Dundalk County Lad. He's been missing since the 16th of September. Good morning, Alan. Yes, um, John is still currently missing. So Gardy are seeking the public's assistance in tracing the whereabouts of John Taylor, 73 years, who was reported missing from his home on Bridge Street, Dundalk, since Saturday, the 16th of September, 2023. He is described as being five foot eight in height of slim build and grey hair. Anyone with information on John's whereabouts are asked to contact Dundalk Garda Station on 042-938-8400 or the Garda Confidential Line on 1800-666-111 or indeed any other Garda station. Let's get to a significant theft of electrical cable that happened on the 14th September in Dundalk. Uh, Yes, Alan. Guardian Dundalk are investigating the theft of a Clydesdale trailer containing approximately €30,000 worth of electrical cable from the DKIT campus on Thursday the 14th of September. Shortly after 8am on Thursday the 14th, a black transit van entered the DKIT campus in Dundalk via the Crown Plaza entrance. They parked close to the wind turbine and they proceeded to unhitch a trailer from another van. The trailer contained approximately €30,000 of black electrical cable. One of the suspects is described as being over six foot tall, wearing a dark green tracksuit. The driver is described as wearing a baseball cap. This wire was on a silver Clydesdale trailer specifically designed for carrying these electrical drums. The black transit van had duct tape across the number plates front and rear, so this may have stood out to motorists. The suspects drove out of the campus and via the Crown Plaza with the trailer attached. Now, the trailer was later recovered on the Point Road shortly after 11am with the cable. Um, But if you did come across this vehicle or trailer or you believe you may have captured them on your dash cam footage, please contact Dundalk Garda Station on 042-9388-400 or the Garda Confidential Line on 1800-666-111. Okay, we moved to a little bit earlier in the month, uh, specifically talking about Saturday 9th September, a serious assault in Trim. 
Yes, Alan. Um, Trim Gardaí are investigating a serious assault which occurred on Haggard Street Trim Saturday the 9th of September between the hours of 1.30am and 2am. Anyone who may have witnessed the assault or anyone who may have dash cam footage of the incident are asked to please contact Trim Garda Station on 046 948 1540. That's 046 948 1540 or the Garda Confidential line again on 1800 treble 6 treble 1. To our D now and a sum of money found there. Yes, Alan. On Sunday the 17th of September, a sum of money was found on Ashwalk RD and handed into RD Garda Station. Inquiries can be made at RD Garda Station on 041 6853222. And property found then in Drogheda? On the 8th of the 9th, a set of keys were found on Duke Street and on the 9th of the 9th, a wallet containing a driving licence and a medical card were found on Bohor Boya, both handed into Drogheda Garda Station. Please contact the Drogheda Property Management Office on 041 987 4252 if either of these above items could be your missing items. Okay, make way day. That's Friday, 22nd September. What's that about? Yes, um, and Garda Síochána is taking this opportunity to support the disabled community by holding a National Day of Enforcement for Operation Enable on Friday, the 22nd of September. Make Way Day is a campaign that brings the disability and wider community together to consider the needs of people with disabilities in public spaces we all share. It is led by the Disability Federation of Ireland, DFI, and is a unique collaboration across Ireland and the voluntary and local government sectors. The aim of the awareness is to highlight the issues and obstacles on footpaths that cause for those with disabilities, such as bins, placards, bicycles locked to lampposts, illegally parked vehicles, etc. Most people are unaware of the problems their behaviour cause and the aim of the DFI is to educate people through one impactful and coordinated and decisive day of action, Make Way Day. Great stuff. Very much lead of it. Uh, Gartha Rachel Coppert-Waith, uh, Community Policing Unit in Dundalk Gartha Station. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Now, before we leave you this morning, as we had anticipated, there will be more comments in relation to Mickey Hart's departure. Uh, what I'm going to lead with this one. Des says, Mickey's made the right decision for his career. As the earlier caller said, the chances of winning an All-Ireland with Louth are limited. So a change of county was his only option. Turned his back on his own team. That's just my view on it. I don't have any skin in the game here, but I do think it was the wrong choice. Mickey Hart, again, Paul says, it's a big move for a Tyrone man to take up a job in Derry, but I suppose money talks. It'll be interesting to see how it all plays out for him now. Also on Mickey Hart, Joan says, she doesn't understand why people seem to be taking it so personally that Mickey Hart has announced his departure. He's every right to change jobs if he wishes, and that's what he's done, changing to another role. It's not like he's denouncing the county or anything. Joan says people need to calm down a little bit about that. Oh, I wouldn't have that conversation who's a GAA individual to the backbone. They might bite back at you, Joan. But yeah, absolutely take your point on that. But you know something? It's got to be difficult, particularly for the players following that announcement. It's going to take time for it to sink in because as I understand it, there wasn't a whole lot of um, 
prior notice given to the players or management for that matter in relation to his departure and it'll come as a shock to them and they'll have to be wait it'll be that anticipation who's going to come in to take over the role what will that individual like will they be able to propel us to the next level as Mickey Hart did during his tenure with the team only time will tell on that but I've no doubt we're going to hear a lot more about that in the coming days and indeed the coming week in fact I've no doubt we're going to be talking about this tomorrow as well that's unfortunately where we're going to have to leave you uh, this morning we'll be back with you same time tomorrow on the programme shortly after nine o'clock but for now from me Alan Cantwell good morning The Michael Reed Show podcast tune in weekdays from nine on LMFM to contact us email now michael at lmfm.ie